Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here. It's a Thursday, September 28th. So glad that you've joined us. Hey, a couple of programming notes. This is our last devotional of the week. I'm preparing to head out on the Apostle Paul trip. And uh, so, so today will be the last day this week. But in case you haven't heard, we're going to be broadcasting our devotionals the next two weeks um, after today, uh, the week of October 2nd, the week of October 9th, we're going to be broadcasting from uh, the footsteps of Paul. So we'll be coming at you from Athens, places like Athens and Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus, Patmos, just a whole host of, of places like this where we're doing some devotional biblical stuff that is connected to that particular site, and I think it should be a good time. Gives you a chance to stay connected to what uh, we're doing over there, um, and also just continues giving us a steady diet of digging into God's Word together. So we are wrapping up today in Matthew chapter 11. We've been in verses 1 through 19, and the, the, the situation is essentially this. John the Baptist has been arrested, and there are doubts and disillusionment setting in. And he has sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you in fact the Christ? And Jesus gives one of those um, Jesus answers, right? Um, he simply points out to John what he has been doing. Um, John knows what he's been doing. Jesus simply reminds him of what he's been doing, of healing uh, the sick and uh, lifting up the oppressed and providing uh, just ongoing, miraculous, supernatural intervention in the lives of God's people. And Jesus says, blessed is him who does not fall or stumble on account of me. And, and, and of course, the lesson here is that we trust in the ways of Christ. And um, we, we, we lean not on our own understanding, but, but lean into, into his. And then he goes on to tell the people, he gives them an object lesson of of who John the Baptist is or, and, and was. He's the greatest of all the prophets. And that um, being the greatest of all the prophets, though, doesn't shield him from suffering and persecution. Um, in fact, um, it invites it. And Jesus says, don't stumble over this, okay? Don't, don't stumble over the nature of my kingdom, which is a spiritual kingdom, not a political kingdom, and just know that there will be many forces, spiritual forces, that assail your faith. And so this is why he says, um, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Christianity is a living, active, vibrant, fluid, forward-moving faith, and it is to be struggled through. Our salvation is to be worked out with fear and trembling. So that, that's kind of where we've been. Now, we're going to come to the last section of, of Matthew's um, account here in Matthew 11, 
And I'm just going to read verses 16 through 19 as we bring our commentary to a close for the week. So all that has happened, and then Jesus says this, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So Jesus, as we've seen um, thus far, is is beginning to address um, what, what we see here as emerging disbelief, okay? Of course, there's the, there's the, the disbelief of the, of the Pharisees, um, but there's even just the fickleness of the crowds. And, and this is going to mark a turning point in Matthew's gospel where we're going to see this opposition become systematic and we're going to see unbelief become systematic. And Jesus um, is providing proverbial wisdom, and he says, says it like this. This generation is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, okay? So he's using an analogy, an illustration. We play the flute, you did not dance. We sing a dirge, you did not mourn. Okay, so clearly um, the analogy here is uh, a flute. Um, there's a, that, that's an invitation to party, an invitation to dance, an invitation to celebrate. A dirge, of course, is a is a is a song of lament, a song of mourning. But yet, when the season is correct, or, or I'm sorry, when when the season has presented itself, whether it's a season of celebration or a scene, a season of mourning, the people do neither. They they ignore what they're seeing. They they ignore the invitation, um, and Jesus said that's that's what's happening in your responses to me and to John the Baptist, okay? Because John the Baptist came as an aesthetic, and they say, it's crazy. Jesus says, comes, and remember, he's not fasting or doing any of that, and they say he's a glutton and drunkard. They can't win either way. And the point here, I think, is that people are fickle, and they are going on first impressions. And the problem is not that the works of God are not evident. The problem is the heart. You see, it's the heart that hears the strong words of John the Baptist and finds an excuse to not listen to them. He just has a demon. It's the hardness of heart that Here's Jesus's invitation uh, for mercy and grace and sees all these healings taking place and just says, oh, he's just a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, they find a reason to criticize whatever the season is. If the season is for celebration, if the season is for mourning, um, there's an excuse for not engaging in either. And the problem that Jesus is pointing out about this generation, right? And so when Jesus says this generation, that, that's an ominous tone, right? Is that they 
are hardened in unbelief. They refuse to acknowledge what God is plainly doing in their lives. John was clearly the greatest of all prophets. Jesus, he is doing miracles that no one has ever seen, yet there are some who refuse to believe or trust in either. And then Jesus it ends this little, little discourse with a warning, right? Or a proverbial saying. He said, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And Luke records this as saying, yet wisdom is justified by her children. Okay, so, so what does that mean? Well, if you have a particular parenting style, okay, um, or a particular parenting philosophy, the way that you test, in part, the wisdom or the effectiveness of that parenting philosophy is by how children grow and respond to it or don't grow and don't respond to it. Now, it doesn't mean there's perfect parents or a perfect parenting style. It's just, it's, taught, it's, it's a proverbial saying, right? So if you are harsh, dictatorial, authoritarian, and unloving to your children, you should not be surprised when they in turn are hardened and um, non-trusting and uh, afraid of closeness and difficult to communicate with. By the same token, if you're incredibly um, enabling with your children or, or permissive, then we should not be surprised when those same children go off and rebel or make foolish decisions and um, when they don't have enough boundaries. So, so, so it's evident in the children, right? Jesus is simply saying, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her children. Only time and patience will reveal the truths of what John the Baptist and Jesus have been preaching and teaching. And this is a call, I think, for the people to consider, to ponder, to pray, to evaluate, to open their eyes, to carefully consider what's happening right before them instead of having a knee-jerk response and figuring out a way to respond um, or to not receive the words of John the Baptist and Jesus. And Jesus is simply saying, um, that's not wisdom, right? Wisdom considers these things, considers the, considers the outcome of these things, and just look at the outcome of my ministry, right? I'm speaking truth. People are being healed, right? Um, if I was a friend, if I was Beelzebub, I wouldn't be, be, be doing these things, right? Um, they're, the, the results speak for themselves. The results validate, okay, what I'm saying and doing. And so, trust in me. Believe in me. That's, that's I think, the essence of what Jesus is is saying here. And really the lesson is the same for John the Baptist as it is for the people, as it is for us. Are we going to lean on our own understanding, right, of what we think should be happening, what we would do if we were in God's place, or the way God is actually working and um, entrusting ourselves to that process, even 
when we don't fully understand it. Um, and I think that's where Jesus leaves this last invitation. Okay, that's going to wrap up our time for this week. We will see you Monday from, who knows where it will be from. I think it will be from Thessalonica, but we'll see. Anyway, look forward to, to, to catching you then. Let's pray. Lord, um, you have come as a friend of sinners. And you have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt who you are and um, that you have laid your life down for us. And so, Father, we entrust ourselves to you. Lord, let us be um, quick to, to trust you, not to trust in our own intellect, not to explain away why we can't entrust ourselves to you. Lord, we're asking that you would give us that grace. We ask that you would bless our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you Monday.